I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Episode 52 of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Relentless Boats. Kyle and I are back for another week here, and we're getting to the end of October, and uh, things are getting real. We're starting to get a cool front here and there, uh, starting to get a lot of interaction and feedback from the from the community about people being successful, killing some deer, and strategies are, char- are starting to change. The woods are starting to change. Um, what have... What have you been seeing lately, Kyler? I know you uh, you had a hot start, and um, what what's what's been up lately as far as what you've been seeing in the woods? Uh, nothing. I haven't seen anything. I, I made three sets over the weekend and didn't uh, didn't lay eyes on any deer while I was on stand. Um, I uh, hunted a hunted a um, you know we all had a southeast wind all weekend, which was I hadn't pre scouted for that, so uh, ended up hunting some places that weren't um you know went in blind one morning and set up uh set up in some areas i'd never been to for that wind and on saturday sunday morning had uh, three people walk in on me on public land which i'll admit hasn't have happened to me very often and uh kind of uh, they walked in on me and i was like yep i deserve this this is what i get for hunting (laughs) such an easy spot to get to um but uh, what about you? Uh, man, you said it, southeast wind. And unfortunately, uh, with, with, with the life schedule and all, um, right now I'm limited to, to the places that I frequent that I can hunt, just given all the things I got going on. And my place here at home, it, it's 400 acres, and it's in one big block. But I'm telling you, man, there's just so limited places that you can – expect to have any level of success with a, with really any kind of eastern wind but specifically a southeast wind it's it's really bad and with the temperatures and all i i focused on hog hunting basically we uh took my son tried to take take his gun and tried to sneak up on some hogs 
I didn't bow hunt, man. I I just I, I couldn't convince myself I had a plan good enough worth uh, worth making the effort, and and, I, and so I just laid off. But I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Kansas, and uh, it looks like, based off the the, the current forecast, there's going to be a big cold front push through Thursday night, which I'll be arriving in camp sometime late tomorrow night and starting to hunt Friday. And we're going from a high of 84 on Thursday to a high of 49 on Friday. So uh, major weather change there for the better. And I'm hoping that I can finally actually, other than running a camera or taking my son, I can actually do a little hunting myself. And so I'm excited about it. And uh, that's, you know, that's what it is. Hadn't had the time to really venture out. Um, But... You know, like I said, leading in, the season is is really upon us now, and we're really getting going, and things are starting to change, and um, hopefully change for the better. So um, on this episode, we're actually going to have a couple of guys join us, Thomas and Warren Vergitz from Baton Rouge. They go by Meat Chasers online if you look them up on social media. And uh, these guys have kind of their own take, their own approach to to traveling all around and doing exactly what their name says meat chasing um some successful hunters and they caught our eye online as guys from louisiana that uh, hunt all over the place and have garnered some success so we're gonna we're gonna talk to them about some of their tactics and strategies and the way they approach their style of hunting um before we bring them in just a reminder again about scree gear that's s-k-r-e screegear.com a performance based layering system um really a great system for whitetail hunters if you're looking to debulk and uh, do more with less layers or less bulk and uh, high performance uh, quality gear with a lifetime warranty and a guarantee uh, sizing guarantee they're running a lot of different specials they're actually going to run a special here at the end of the month on uh, their hard scrabble which is their soft shell outer layer series of clothing and uh, there's lots of other specials and deals you can find there at screegear.com so I encourage you to go check them out and uh, follow them on facebook and instagram as well it's at uh, screegear so uh without further ado uh kyler why don't you introduce our guest hey thomas and warren appreciate y'all joining us man i'm looking forward to talking to you guys hey glad yes, to be sir. here we're excited man so let's let's dive into this. So Locke and I have been hunting a good bit. I know y'all have been hunting. Um, how has y'all season been so far? Man, uh, it's kind of started off pretty hot. I was kind of thinking I was going to take it easy here because we're going back to Kansas in November. But uh, opening day, I saw a pile of bucks on public land, one really good one. And then uh, this past weekend, I was kind of poking around some property we just bought um 30 acres and and ended up having a pretty good you know 16 17 inch eight point older deer within like 15 yards 10 minutes after daylight you, you skipped nice. september we went to kansas and said well yeah we already went to kansas and, yeah. yeah kansas is is uh is hot so uh happy to hear y'all are heading that way but um, yeah even locally we've been seeing some deer man what part of, what part of kansas do you guys typically go like regionally We're, we do different pretty much every year. This year, it's a, an area we've never been anywhere near. We're in, we're in uh, the northwest units uh, and uh, totally different terrain than where we've ever been before. But it's Normally, we're in the northeast units. Yeah, we've gone in north central to northeast, um, you know, kind of from the from little bit west of center all the way to the eastern border and then 
this year we're all the way west just we like to keep seeing new stuff it's it's a lot more open plains prairie type country in the northwest part of the state isn't it yeah and we ended up pretty much running into exactly what we were looking for which was piles of bucks coming out into you know this this draw in the middle of cornfield with with three foot tall weeds where it's just nothing but visibility once they start moving and yeah. uh had us a couple pretty exciting days there that's cool i, I actually killed a, a a nice 10 point in northeast kansas last year and i typically hunt in southeast kansas a lot which is where i'm going tomorrow but uh i've never been out west i hear um i know we have a couple of uh couple of guys that are part of the louisiana bowhunter community that uh, i know went out that way last year and i've heard a lot about it. it's a lot a different hunt i'm curious are you guys hunting public ground or do you have some some private farms that you have permission to go or or what do you guys actually yeah, we're, we're hunting public i mean exclusively public yeah i mean it, you can get you can get permission pretty easily but by the time we get figuring it out we talk to somebody at a gas station or whatever that's you know you could get permission if you wanted to we've usually already run into bucks so we've just never We've never really needed to try to, you know, do the permission thing, but you definitely can do that. I mean, you almost can just get in the truck and go yeah. assume your permission, I would say. But we hunt most, like 90% walk-in, and we'll hit some of the public lakes and stuff like that, too. But the walk-ins where we found where there's just nobody, I mean, especially in this, these units we're in this year, out west, there, there's... I would say for sure less pressure. Did we see a hunter? We saw one hunter. We we saw one group of hunters on a on a lake we hunted, but on walk in we didn't see one hunter in nine days. Awesome. Are y'all y'all so y'all are taking advantage of that uh, that land access program that Kansas and Nebraska does, where they can donate private property for walk in hunting? Is that what you're doing, or are these actual yeah. federal managed places? No, the walk in the walk the walk in yeah. areas are awesome that's where we found a big buck last year in nebraska too warren ended up killing up I, I saw him at daylight and we ended up killing him that evening but uh that walk-in so we hit the lakes and we hit the wma stuff and the federal stuff a little bit but we usually end up finding these little weird spots in those walk-in pieces that yeah the lakes uh, the lakes and the and the big uh you know anything that's called like a management zone or something that's where all the stands are yeah people don't now i did see two shooters day two this year on on one of those public lakes i mean they're in daylights i mean they're there too but those yeah. little weird walk-in spots man we, yeah. we found big bucks uh, well for people that don't know if you access if you travel and i don't know what other states do this but i know nebraska and, and kansas do because i've i've done it on both if you if you use onyx maps um they are highlighted i guess in like a striped pattern i can't remember what color it is but you can find these places very easily using onyx map you can drive around and find them and basically what it is is a private landowner will i'm assuming you guys might know the answer to this uh, i don't know but i'm assuming these people must get some sort of tax break or something it's Um, a payment yeah the direct wildlife department pays them a little bit it it ain't much but they give them a little bit and also for anybody that that doesn't have onyx there's a uh there's a uh app called explore it's not as good but if you're just trying to you know you're thinking about going to a state and you want to see what they have it's called the explore app and you can search a state and they usually will have some pre-downloaded maps that that have a lot of this stuff not everything but you can at least kind of see what you're working with if you're thinking about going yeah it was pretty i did it for turkey last year i was turkey hunting in missouri and we filled our tags and um i had a kansas tag and and uh a friend of mine had a nebraska tag before they shut that down and we started exploring and i actually found a couple of walk-in spots in northeast kansas 
that if I had a tag for that unit, I think I know where I could kill a big deer. Because I found some absolute... I'm talking about the kind of places if I took you and just told you it was my farm, you would think that, man, you've got a fine spot set up here. You know, uh, just great access and everything. So... That's that's really cool. I, I guess while we're on the topic of Kansas, um, and to, and and specifically the topic of you guys hunting out west and being from Louisiana, and and one of the one of the things that that we kind of keyed in on with you guys as uh, guests of the podcast is some of your tactics and strategies. So so I guess what are some of the big things that you guys are looking for and that you do specifically hunting this wide open country as opposed to what we're used to, maybe scouting out and trying to hunt public ground down south. So I, I like that fucking man. It just it just seems to be predictable. And you it, now you got to drive. We usually put two or three thousand miles on a car while we're in the state we're hunting, and, and you just got to keep moving until you run into that that hot spot. But you will find it. Hmm. So we do a lot of glass and a lot of like uh, yeah. I guess we, road we, we did a lot of that this year, but we really just speed scout, man. Like we'll. we'll with the square miles in the Midwest, especially if you can get a rain, like we'll ride, we'll circle the spot. And if we don't see a fresh buck track riding the road, that's, we scouted it. We hit, we go to the next one. So we might hit 20 walk-in pieces in a day. Sometimes and then, we're canceling out a property within. Yeah. Like you see a bunch minutes, of boot tracks, three a bunch minutes, of car you're tracks. Canceling it out and you move on to the next one. Yeah. And then that evening, the last hour of daylight, we'll sit on whatever the best thing we found is. And you'll, you do that. You'll get eyes on something within. Usually we don't go more than three days without. So you guys are you guys are basically taking almost a, a the kind of approach you would have turkey hunting, and you're just taking it to the deer woods. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. We covered every property that in our two units. We covered every property that was yeah, we, open we in hit, September. We found every single piece of property in a nine day hunt. All the walk-ins. Wow. And we actually didn't run aside from the two shooters I saw day two, which we ended up spooking them. We tried one more time the next day, and, and we moved on because we didn't see them, but. Other than that, we really didn't run into good bucks till day four or five. I mean, they're there, and you're missing them when you're moving that fast. But we want a buck that's that's visible, that's moving, that's active right now. So it wants to die. Yeah, I don't, if I go in there one day and I, with a fresh, fresh <laughs> big buck track, and I don't see him, I don't want to hunt that buck. I want to hunt yeah. it. But. Interesting. Very interesting. So, so when you when you start when you talk about speed scouting, because that's something that's I think super interesting. Um, do y'all have different types of speed scouting? What I mean, like you said, if you'll drive around a property and you don't, if you don't see a fresh deer track, you move on. Obviously, that's obviously, you know, that's really uh, not getting very deep in the woods before, like canceling that piece of property in your mind. But when you're when you're actually boots on the ground going through a property, are y'all? like moving fast walking fast running what are you looking for in the in your speed scouting um venture well you here's the deal you pull up to the to the spot that looks easiest to park at you open the door either you see a boot track and you close the door back and keep driving or you don't see a boot track and you run down the edge of the food source yeah, yeah you there's, there's always crops, an edge of crops. You you know, you, within 100 yards, if there's a big buck on that property, you're probably going to find Yeah, you're either going to see his track coming in and out of that crop or you're not. Either either he's there or he's not. And if it's an unimproved road where you can see tracks in the road, sometimes you're going to have to go in. I, I mean, I would say 
we do end up sometimes we'll be oh man this spot looks great from the map and we'll go end up spending more than 20 minutes in there and we'll get tired and we'll walk it and i would i don't think that's ever produced an out yeah, of state buck for us of the time that's a mistake i would say every buck we've gotten has been on has been on scouting the piece for less than seven minutes yeah wow wow that's incredible man well um you know we, we've talked in the we've talked on other episodes about um how states like illinois and uh kansas and nebraska and whatnot they don't necessarily have a larger deer population you can just see them more yeah, yeah, more easily right. you, you know brain pressure yeah, and so um, it's interesting. It's interesting that y'all are able to, to discount an area so fast because I think that's I you know that being able to do that, like the ability to say this isn't worth my time, is whether y'all realize it or not, a very unique skill set because a lot of people, especially in Louisiana will get hung up on the smallest sign of deer or the smallest, you know, scrape or three week old rub or, um, or something, or even like a, a Creek crossing trail where you have no idea when the last time some yeah. deer walked through there, but the tracks look really, you know, clean and pressed into the dirt. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I definitely want to talk to y'all about, you know, how do you, how, how are y'all focusing on where, um, or dismissing, that information and what is sticks out to you so far other than human pressure and boot tracks like you talk about what else is drawing you to an area um like once you dedicate to it like how what's drawing you there well um leading up to these trips and we're we're talking i mean we're talking about two different things here kansas versus yeah Louisiana. local sure. stuff would be a different it is totally different method but leading up to these trips we're um you know, we're looking at maps, dropping pins all over on X. Yeah. And we, we, they're all categorized and, you know, a must go spot, hit these on the way. And that's just based on typical cyber scouting, what's got cover, what's got some food next to it, the yeah. standard stuff. And then we're, we're hitting these spots, checking what, you know, I'm riding down the road on Google Street View on all these spots, basically glassing the fields on Google Street View to see if I see any bucks from the Google car. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah. I, I spent a lot of time look glassing the uh, bucks yeah, on did. Google street. View. We do, we're waiting Gla- I love that you call Google street view glassing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, it is. I mean, it's great. It's yeah, perfect. Yeah. But, but the big, I mean, it's funny because we do all that and we get there and sometimes, you know, sometimes we drop the pin on a tree that we end up seeing a shooter out of, but other times we end up doing something totally different by the time you get there. On the out-of-state trips where there's no, there's low pressure, there's a high percentage of big bucks, the terrain is very predictable, you have to just keep moving. You're going to run into one. And really the biggest thing is track. So whatever technique you can do to cover as much ground as you can, high odds ground that it would have a track. So you're walking 100 yards on a crop, crop edge from the road. You're circling, if it's an unimproved road and it just rained, you're circling that square mile of public looking for tracks going five miles an hour in the car with the windows down. If you can find a fresh big buck track, you know, you're, you're, that's a high odd sit. I mean, in the Midwest, like you find that buck track, look at the map, you see which way the wind's blowing, you do all the bedding stuff and where, where would the buck want to be? You're going to be, I mean, you're like plus 40, 50% chance you're going to see that buck. I mean, it's crazy. That's awesome. So how did you guys, did you just, 
obviously at some point you committed to this strategy but at what point did you did you just kind of decide hey this is let's try this out and see how this works for us or is it something that just kind of success failure type of thing it just kind of came to be and you realized what you were doing you know how what's the development process behind this strategy so the the very first time that we I don't. I don't know why we never got the idea to like. Hey, let's that's drive my biggest to Kansas. Regret, not doing this stuff when I was in college. But, but it was 2016, I believe. Uh, it was yeah. 2016. We were like, hey, let's let's uh, get tags and go to Kansas. Maybe we'll kill a giant buck. Big shout out to Whitetail Adrenaline, by the way, because that's what got us doing it. Yeah. So anyway, we we got our Kansas tags. We drove up there. We've been doing it exactly the same way from day one. So we got up there. We looked at a spot. It looked good. You know, from home, we're like, we don't know what we're doing. Let's let's just go scout tons of stuff. So we start scouting, scouting, scouting. We find this um, really terrible-looking property. Bad-looking spot. Oh, Cows. Bad. 50 Osage acres, maybe. And maybe a couple oak trees. There was some corn on the edge of it. And there was a little pond. And we're like, let's pond. go scout this pond. So we go scout the pond. And this is, this is 80 yards from the road. Yeah. So we go scout the pond, and we jump two of the biggest bucks we've ever seen in our lives, bedded exactly like they're supposed to on the bend of the creek, catching the wind just like it's supposed to be. You know, they, they're right where they were supposed to be. We bust them up, ten, you know, 10 yards from them walking in there scouting. So we spend the rest of the day scouting. I think we drove like three hours away to yeah, scout we, some we drove stuff. a few hundred miles that day trying to find something better. And then the next day, um, we went back to that buck, and we had drawn up a plan on the map like, oh, he ran north with the other big buck, and they're probably bedded right here on this Yeah, we just went bed. to the next best bedding point. So we had been scouting the whole next day, about three hours away, and we got back there about six p.m. Yeah, we came, we came in on both sides of them. So I, I snuck up to the X that I had put on the little creek bend, got as close as I could get to it, climbed up on my sticks, and, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, that giant buck stood up. I, I heard him I heard him stand up and shake his head. He walked over to me, and I shot him at so like that was, seven that was yards. Day four, the first time we ever went, that was 163-inch nine-point with some weird kickers. But I'm very impatient, and, and I love seeing new stuff. And when we get to Kansas, I'm so, like, shaking and freaking out. I'm like, bucks. You know, I'm just yeah, freaking yeah. out. I'm like, Kansas. Have the bucks. So I just want to move. And that's kind of, you see a spot and you're like, let's go to, you know, that, that the next the next hill. What's over the next hill? That's kind of, we can't get out of that mindset. We almost Kansas, run out of time. And we end up shooting the biggest buck we, either of us have ever even come close to having a chance at. And so ever since then, it's like, oh, well, this is how you do it. And we've just never gone back. Very interesting. We'll be in a spot for like we'll be in one area for like, and I'm talking about like a 50 square mile area, bouncing around for like a day. Maybe we see like one shooter, but we don't get on him. It it gets to be like the second day we're in that same area, and we're like, oh dude, we got to get out of here. This spot sucks. We got to move. Like we got to move, and it works. And so not not only is your your hunting style unique, why don't you tell us uh, tell us what you're driving and how you're getting up there. Oh, this year we had this setup, We, we have dialed this in with the Sienna. Yeah. Do not drive your own vehicle on an out-of-state trip. Never, ever. So rental car companies, all of them, give you unlimited miles for some reason, and they lose terribly on people like us. We we rented a Toyota Sienna. You got the automatic opening sliding doors, back hatch. You got big, comfortable seats, tons of room. 
and uh, we put 4,000 miles on it probably. 4, it was like $450 for nine <laughs> days. I mean, you're you're going to depreciate your vehicle way more than that driving it for 4,000 miles. It's a, so we, it's a minivan lot. It's a yeah. white minivan. Dude, it was so nice. That was the number. We've, we've got SUVs in the past. This was like 10 times yeah. better. I got to be honest. If you've got a ton of rain in the forecast, you might want to consider coughing up the extra dough for a four-wheel drive SUV. But because you'll get back on those roads and you just can't. I mean, yeah, they're all they get rough. Dirt. I know that personally. They get. But if rough. you don't have terrible weather, if you can be pretty sure you're not gonna have terrible weather, the <laughs> minivan, dude, you can clean. You take all the back seats out. I mean, we had all of our stuff and we still had room to like lay down in the back in a sleeping bag and sleep while the other person would drive. Them. Yeah, I did that in South Dakota on a turkey trip. I rented a. Uh, I had to fly out there, obviously, and I rented a. Uh, I can't remember. It was a Subaru something but it wasn't a minivan but it was it was a extended back end suv thing yeah and i experienced a lot of what i mean just laid the back seats down and it was like a tank man oh yeah <laughs> well, awesome. when we went to uh nebraska last year we had a blue minivan that was a uh, yeah and, like a dodge that's so. whenever we kind of realized it like this is the deal oh, yeah. and then when you put a big buck on top of it and you're riding around oh, town yeah. and you're le- like legendary day one we like go in to eat at a restaurant and everybody's like, that's y'all with that buck on that van yeah that's <laughs> us yeah <laughs> damn right that's our giant buck on our <laughs> minivan yeah they were that's getting awesome. the kick out that's awesome so you guys do this uh you, you mentioned nebraska i mean so this is this technique this strategy that you have you're you're employing that in multiple areas not just in the open country of west western kansas yeah and we in nebraska i guarantee you we probably wouldn't have seen a shooter buck if we would not have been. we nebraska's awesome but in i think in southern nebraska where we were at they're just not a lot of old bucks. They Those have a gun season during out. the rut, and there's ladder stands everywhere, and they shoot the hell out of them. Yep. The the buck he killed was by far the biggest buck we saw the whole trip. But oh, we okay. saw two bucks, maybe three, that were definitely over three years old. That's it. And we probably saw 300 deer. I mean, there's a ton of deer, but if you're sitting in one spot hoping to shoot a four-year-old buck or older, I, I don't think we would we have We could have down on, on that lake and hunted. Because like, we see a lot of these other guys – out there on their trips and you know they're using their vacation they find all the sign that's on every piece of public land and in the midwest and they plop down and they camp there for a week yeah that is how you and we did your whole week we did do something a little different there in that we weren't having any luck it was at least halfway through the trip and and i sometimes we will dedicate about 45 minutes right at daylight to glass a spot if driving's not better and, and driving this area was not an option because you couldn't see it. It was a pretty big piece of walk-in. You had to go in there. And so I went and set up. I found a big uh, big scaffolding next to one of those, like, uh, windmills. And I got on top of that five, ten minutes after daylight spotted, a, you know, the deer he ended up shooting. Of course, we're freaking out thinking well, it's yeah. 200. We're like, that's a 200. He was, like, about 150-inch eight point. We ended up killing him that evening. So sometimes it is worth going in and really looking at a spot at daylight. But, I mean, if you're seeing bucks driving at daylight, that's definitely the preferred method because you can cover more ground. But that's how we ended up finally finding a good buck in Nebraska. Cool. That's I, very cool. Yeah. I, 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 I can attest to the things you said. I've, I've been hunting southern Nebraska the last several years, and I've, I've had some success. But it is, you know, to your point, uh, I guess, and, and Missouri has the same issue. Their rifle season is so jacked up. 
it's and 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 again going back to what kyler said when when i say that you have to understand that that what i mean is i'm not i'm not i'm not speaking down to people that choose to rifle hunt but when you hunt these areas that we're talking about the deer are congregated in small areas and when you combine that dis disadvantageous or or that's probably not a good word i probably just made that word up but when you combine that with the fact that these deer are on the move in the rut and you have a 10-day rifle season and it all you know, all collides at the same time, what you end up with is, uh, I guess the best word is overkill. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you can only imagine when you have 40, 50-acre blocks of timber and most of that's ditch rows and creek bottoms and stuff like that, all your deer by the rut are primarily congregated in those areas because the crops are out and you got people sitting in the edge of every field with a high-powered rifle yeah and they're rutting in nebraska we could tell that pretty quick like the first two or three days fresh leaners everywhere that and and the bucks we were seeing were like one-year-olds and you don't even see a one-year-old in kansas half the time so like we would be set up on like say just for instance in in the middle of a big-ass marsh with a perfect (laughs) bedding point with a bayou yeah like i'd be in, i'd be in a willow that. tree you know right out of the mouth of this point and you know right at year olds come out i'm like well what the hell this is the the big one's dead you know he got shot already yeah, yeah. so like we move 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 the secret to nebraska is find the shittiest looking piece of land on the yeah, map we ended up killing that deer on a really weird it was spot. we were like okay look at this spot this looks awful yeah. let's go here yeah and boom <laughs> giant buck we, well we knew it had cover that would hold a big buck but it was the type of cover that like most people ain't yeah, it was a bird hunt it was spot. a pheasant spot yeah yeah, yeah. actually he, he shot that deer that evening and another shooter got up and he just didn't make it out in time but there was a couple couple good bucks in there so That's how, really cool. how much how much within this whole strategy you know breaking it down to the actual hunt i mean how long are you guys sitting in a tree once you identify uh, the spot that you're committed to five percent of the time or less but we're hunting every evening we're hunting on the best stuff we find that day every evening but only the last early season we're only hunting the last hour and a half of daylight yeah. and look stuff happens you could be set if you know where the deer are bedding you could kill one at noon but we don't know that we're from out of state so we're we're running 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 all day trying to find one if we didn't find one we set up on the best stuff that evening and usually we'll end up spotting one or getting on one in the Uh, evening and also it's important to note like this strategy is all we're hunting when it's 90 degrees outside yeah we've we've only hunted during the rut in the midwest once this will be this year will be our first like full and it was only a five-day trip so this will be our first full you know eight nine day trip so was that last year the year Which before one? last, when we went to Kansas in the rut. That was two two, two years, years ago. We went and, um, you know, we were driving every morning because that seemed to be yeah, the best the rut. way. I mean, we, we saw two or three shooter bucks every day. That was the best way to, to identify where the bucks were, how big they were, because you're going to see them. Every morning at daylight, yeah. we just started driving. Zero hunt. No hunting at all. We would drive from daylight until 9 or 10, averaging seeing three shooters a day, Yeah, maybe, and then we would – and you basically go through and you categorize your scouting into your number one spot, and then you keep moving. Yeah. 
you you got your number one, your number two, your number three spot. By the time you get to the end of the day and you have you got to a rush good back spot. to number you got one, a good spot to go back to. that's your highest odds to kill. And look, the rut's different. I mean, the rut in Kansas, if you want to sit, sit on funnels all morning and all day, you're going to kill a buck. You will. But Definitely. That's not, I mean, we're we're partying. These trips for us is like yeah. me and him, we got off work, we got the man, we're hitting Bucks. we're hammering down like, we're not trying to go sit in a tree all day. So, I mean, if that's your thing, do it. You will kill a buck during the rut. Yeah. Early season, I don't even keep moving. You yeah. are not. Yeah. If you're sitting all day early season, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, me personally, I, I do hunt the rut in the Midwest, multiple different states for a number of years. And, I, I, I you know, like as you said, I, one thing that I think that you'll find as you do this more in, in the rut is the problem becomes – in the early season you have so many crops and you have such a pattern when you see a buck in the morning you pretty much can figure out where he's bedding right i mean yep. he's none of he's yep. gonna be there the problem with the rut is if you see a buck cruising down a a, a fence row or down the edge of a cut cornfield in the morning that yeah. sucker might be five miles away by the afternoon yeah and, and that's and that's what that's the thing what we're doing is we're trying to spot them and get ahead of them and and catch them where they're going and we're basically spotting stalking you know morning kind of full kind of stalk in the morning you know rig style but so you're you're in action every day and you're on a stalk every day but it's it's low odds you're getting more encounters but they're low odds encounters whereas if you just sit on a funnel all day you're probably going to kill one and yeah. so it's just a it's just a what style do you want to hunt one yeah. one major thing that people and you know our friends and anybody that doesn't go hunt the midwest from louisiana they don't realize there's so much public land if you're driving around and you see a giant buck, you're most of the time close enough to either spook him to a piece yeah. if you try really hard. Or he's going that way anyway. Yeah. Or, or you be, you'll have some place to cut him off. Almost. I mean, it's it's a very good chance. Yeah, we, we, had, like, we had like way. decent, we had like legit stalk opportunities every other day on average. Yeah. And starting, that, starting the first day whenever we first pulled in. Oh, yeah. The first morning during that row, we were on a 160. We got within 40 yards of him on a doe um doing driving man and just spotted him and kept driving and then snuck back and over the bank and got eyes on him you know got the game plan went around him all that and got close but it's it's low odd stuff because you're on the ground with him and it's you know a lot of stuff can go wrong but that's just yeah. it's just kind of preference at that point early season different story i mean i would never do anything other than than just run non-stop early season but during the rut you probably you got a real argument for the sitting technique being higher odds mm-hmm well, it sounds fun, if nothing else. Exciting. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's a party. That's the main deal. Like, like, we don't, it almost doesn't even matter if you have better odds doing something. Like, yeah, that's it, what we're doing anyway. It's so that's, fun, man. That's what we're doing. Makes yeah. your days go by fast, though, doesn't it? Oh, gosh, it's like too fast. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the day's over before it, it gets started. Hmm. Well, Warren, one, one of the things that we talked about yesterday um, on our, uh, our conversation was um, – Y'all oftentimes will spot a deer, like, you know, categorize that in your mind, where he is, what property he's on, and then just keep moving. You know, go to three or four other properties, and whatever information you gain for the three or four other ones, you compare it against that deer, you're finding the biggest one, and then you decide which one to set up on. Um, That was really interesting to me because – you know, in Louisiana, and and I guess people that hunt in a state also, it's really easy to get get caught. Like you see a big deer, and like 
you'd be crazy to keep moving or to say, yeah. well, maybe there's something bigger around the corner. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting that y'all, y'all are, y'all are able to, like I said, uh, discount information or go out and get comparative information about properties or deer or, or deer, deer herd, or, you know, like, like you said about one year old deer in Nebraska, um, you know, if you're seeing a bunch of one year olds or spikes or, or whatever, on a different piece of property, just go back to the one where you saw the big buck at um, that morning or something. I thought that was really interesting. Or keep driving 200 more miles yeah. like we do. I mean, you, you get that confidence quick that when you're hunting a state like Kansas or some of these Midwestern states, you know, you know you're going to run into another one. So, I mean, if we see a big buck and we can make a play on him at, at yeah. that 1030 in the morning, we're going after him. But if it's a situation where, okay, there he is, we can't make a play on yeah, it. Like, we'll kill the yeah, shit out of that deer. Yeah, he's dead right at dark. if we need to. 100% chance. Like, let's let's keep going and, 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 and find almost, a couple backup plans. Almost every time we end up running into something better before the end of the day. There, A lot of our number ones, we never hunt. Yeah. Our number one at 10 a.m., we almost never hunt it. Yeah. Really? That's why. So, y'all are hunting... Just whatever is is maybe you have a, like you said a better play. And so when you say a better play, are you talking about better positioning, better wind, yes, better cover? Yes. Uh, where, where that buck was bedded may have been a tight spot with that wind. Maybe there isn't really a great way to get a low. There's not a high odds way to get on him. And then maybe maybe we've driven 200 miles and and it's like we get on some super hot fresh sign, big buck sign. It's like, man, we could go back, try to run back and get on that other deer, but it wasn't the best setup. Or we could go in hoping this deer's here. Once you start to see that when you find fresh sign up there, a lot of the time the buck is there, it makes it, you don't feel like you're just going in on sign. I mean, you're walking in like the buck's there. I mean, we're, yeah. we're tiptoeing in like that's where he is. We're setting up imagining that he's that he's 60 yards away, bedded down, and a lot of the times <laughs> yeah. they get <laughs> up and they're that there. Works. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you, you, you develop that confidence that we'll get on another one if it's not a perfect setup yeah so like early in the day we're going in we're running the sides of crops and stuff like that and, and a lot of our pins we drop are, are you know these thick areas that are obviously just bedding in the back of somewhere that's hard to get to so you go and either you find your track and you move that to the top of your list you know you find your track you got you got the perfect spot where you know he's at and you you can look at the map and kind of tell if a, if if the buck that that you found is easy to kill or not based on the terrain and you know the, they kind of do exactly what they're supposed to do in the midwest um so you go we 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 categorize those as in, in order of how good they are you go scout your other spots you know you get back to these bedding areas and you get that that super terrified yeah, feeling know. like you all know what I'm talking about like whenever you get into a spot and you and get real like, oh scared God, like oh like, shit there's there's bucks here like they're going to get yeah. us <laughs> like as soon as you as soon as you come into the edge of that spot, we just we jet out. Yeah, we just yeah we get like back that that spot a, moves get, up the list. You get a game plan. And yeah, and you're ready to go in. Stare and, at the map and, for an and hour. And sometimes you'll find like if you find a crop edge and there's a there's a mature buck track, you know, and you find multiple you got you got him real fresh. You got him going both ways, and then you got some old ones from him too. Ooh. I mean, it's I, I would have had to have seen like a 160 and know right where he's bedding to not switch and hunt that spot because. When you find multiple sets of the same mature bucks track in the Midwest, like, and there's no people sign, I mean, he's there. The both ways track. And that, to me, that, to me, that, 100%. That, that it's almost as good as getting eyes on a buck. I mean, he is in there. Hmm. That's really cool. I like, I like, 
I like all the the confirmation and the verifiers that y'all use on, you know, deciding what to and, and not to do. You know, um, you know, yesterday when, when we talked, I, I told you y'all. It reminds me of like some career advice. The way y'all hunt reminds me of career advice that I got a long time ago, which is don't try and find out what you want to do. Clarify what you don't want to do, and it'll push you closer yeah. to what you want to do. Um, yeah. And 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 so you know, clarify where you don't want to hunt, why you don't want to hunt there, what's your reasoning and logic is behind it. And then that's only going to keep you moving until you find the, the sign that you're looking for. Um, exactly. so that's, I, I love that, man. Um, well, there's a big so, pool that's all just like adrenaline and you're just like, I got to get the buck. And like, it's not that we necessarily want to keep moving. Yeah. A lot of like people, a, a lot I of people would look moving. at us and say, man, y'all are, Y'all are blowing it. It could. It's honestly almost like a flaw that we have that has turned into a bit of a positive. That we just very hard for us to not want to see what's next. I mean, that's where most of it comes from, and it ends up usually working out for the for the better. Yeah. Well, um, as far as uh, as far as your hunting style in Louisiana, in state, how does it differ from your out of state approach? It's very close, except there's boot tracks everywhere we go. Yeah. So you can't it's fun, <laughs> cancel those we spots. We were scouting this weekend, and uh, we're like walking back to this spot. We're like, man, this is this is where this the buck is, the is if he's on here. And there's a guy. There's tracks of a guy doing exactly what we were trying to do. Freaking scouting Frankie yeah. everywhere we went. So, I mean, it was almost like we were just walking in his boot tracks all day. Yeah, and then we, yeah, we went to another good spot. Same thing. So for locally. A thing that I'm kind of starting to learn is you just can't really overlook anything. And I'm kind of starting to value a lot more doing a lot of still hunting until you either see a buck and try to get a game plan or you bump him and try to hunt him from there. Especially early season, man, where a lot of these public land places have so many acorns. Like, to me, sacrifice being set up in the tree and get on the ground and sneak around. Maybe you'll luck up and spot one and be able to get a shot. You'll probably spook him, but then at least you know something concrete and go after them from there. That's kind of where I'm, what I'm leaning towards here, here lately, especially early season. And I'm the exact opposite because here there are, you know, three or four trucks in every parking spot. So, you know, you're screwing up people's hunts if you're doing that. So I'd, if you, yeah. maybe if you go 10 AM, then you can sneak around, but I don't want to be, I don't want to see anybody I in their stand. Over anybody yet, but yeah, I got you. That's yeah. interesting, man. Well, um, as far as uh, as far as where y'all are hunting in the south, are y'all mainly hunting public land? Do y'all have private? Uh, do y'all bounce around? We have had uh, it's called Tansy Island Hunting Club. We've been hunting there since we were babies, um, and that was kind of our big deal growing up. You know, we had dentist appointments every Friday of deer season. Um, pretty yeah, much for school, all through yeah. elementary school, yeah, and uh, it was all to go there. Now pickers up. He's like, I got to get brain surgery. They're, they're retarded. We got to take them out. <laughs> yeah, like just recently, we've kind of switched to the public land. So we don't, you know, I don't, we don't have any good kills or anything like that on Louisiana and Mississippi public land. We're kind of like, we got maybe ten or fifteen hunts total down here. Yeah, we've done a ton of scouts. Started not as much hunt. I mean, for me, you just got to be careful going into some of these spots the way the terrain is here because if you don't know exactly what they're doing in this thick terrain. I mean, you 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 can you know you can lock up and get them, but it's you can do a lot of a lot of harm before you do good if you don't really take your time to to figure out an area before you 
go in and try to get a kill. I mean, I like to go in on high odds. I don't sit unless I'm sneaking in and and I th- and I'm acting like the bucks right here and I'm going to kill that buck. So if I can't get and look, you're almost always wrong, but if I can't get to that mindset where I feel like I'm walking in on that buck, it, it's hard for me to put put time in. But uh, it's funny because he was talking about where we grew up on, and honestly, it, it, we've some of the funnest times we've ever had. But as far as hunting deer hunting skill that's probably been our biggest hindrance because it took us so long to finally pull the trigger on hunting public land and being more mobile and doing this running around stuff and that in the last six years that's when we've learned i mean 90 percent of what we've learned deer hunting yeah. is we've, we've hunted private twice this year it's so, so tempting when you got a nice comfy place to go with a camp and the stuff you're used to it's just it's hard to go do the public land and the mobile stuff but that's where you really learn yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what um, so we're up what kind of kind of gear are y'all hunting with? Like, uh, uh, like what stand and all that? Warren's been hunting out of a saddle for probably since '06. Yeah, and then so a couple years after he started, I had just bought a light Millennium lock on like eight pounds, and I and I was like, let me hang in that dang stupid saddle you got. <laughs> and I and I I never sat in anything else again. I sold my lock on like a week later. We got some real light old sticks he bought on eBay a long time ago. I actually bolted a, uh, I got a 12 inch by 12 inch plastic grate from Home Depot and cut it in half and bolted that on top of my stick. So mm-hmm. I have a, a thick platform combo, you know, and that plastic grate weighs nothing. And then I got a two step aider on the bottom. I mean, I use two sticks and, and I can get yeah, two sticks with aiders and maybe a platform if, if it's not too far. Yeah, my stick has a platform on it so I can get 12 feet with that. And then if I want to get higher, I can do, you know, they call the one stick method. I can take my yeah. time and get a little bit higher if I really want to. One stick method is, I think, a very effective way to kill yourself personally. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you're right. Yeah. I mean, we, we grew up like, I'm not, I'm not recommending any of this, but I mean, we grew up in the woods doing crazy stuff, racing dirt bikes, you know, catching hogs as pets, climbing trees 70 feet up. So, again, not recommending it, but that, that kind of stuff is not something that is that's uh, frightening. To Thomas's me. gear is more uh, death defying than mine. <laughs> like my, yeah, Warren kind of plays a little more safe. But yeah, but so, yeah, you. So got, I mean, me, the saddle thing, man. It's like a, it's a game changer. You, you're not gonna. You're not gonna you're not gonna be mobile hunting out of a, a lock on that you got to carry in and out. It's not. I mean, I can put the saddle on and 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 even if I think I might end up hunting on the ground if that's what needs to happen, but I'll still bring it in. If I need to hop in a tree, I'll hop in a tree. It's a it's a few pounds of gear. Yeah. I mean, let me let me ask it. you this: since, since y'all since y'all have been hunting in a saddle for so long, and I'll admit, you know, I, I'm I'm not. Uh, a huge supporter of the saddles not because of the method but because i just have disdain for anything that's overly hyped by people that don't kill deer i think yeah um, you don't like all the selfies yeah that, that yeah is. i mean I, is, is there's yeah there's a lot of selfies um a lot <laughs> of staring at tree bark um and and so Y'all are the legitimate. I'm so glad we're talking about this because y'all are no lie. Other than Warren Womack talking about hunting out of a um, a, uh, a Guido's web in like the 90s or something, y'all are the only people that I know that have hunted out of a saddle prior to 2017. Okay, um, and so quite literally, that's 
that's super legit to me because that means you know I think if I think all of us listening right now have kind of determined that y'all really don't give a shit what other people think, <laughs> yeah, right? Y'all have super unique approaches to the woods and solutions that are that they're not crazy, they're brilliant, you know. But like nothing's they're cool also about stupid. We understand yeah. that. I mean, yeah, we have some stupid ideas. But, but do you that's... care if other people think they're stupid? No, that's the important no. part, you know. No. Um, while we're hey while we're on this let me just tell you this is just so perfect remember scent baiting oh dude that oh we got we we have to tell you about this or before we forget we can keep doing the saddle thing i'll make a note so (laughs) this this year this this september we went to this cornfield and there was no way to set up. The wind was wrong. This is all the bucks shooting that buck this year. All the bucks, all the bucks were bedded in the corn, and the wind was blowing from the road to yeah, the. Yeah, they were in a perfect little draw where all the wind sucked in there. There was nothing you could do. They're, they had the perfect setup. But thermals, we knew, we, we knew they were in there. We saw them go in there. Well, no, Warren saw them the evening before. We were like, "This is where they're coming from." Yeah, this we just knew at. they were bedded there, and the wind was just sucking right, just straight to their nostrils. There was no no option. Yeah. So we went. In the car, drove down the road. We rubbed a bunch of clothes all up in our hair, and it was threw a hat. It. it was a hat. Yeah, <laughs> and we threw it in the bushes right where Thomas was going to set up, so they would smell it. This is at day. like 10 a.m. So they smelled it all day, and that was the day you shot the buck. They right? came six bucks piled out of that corn right downwind of me and that hat an hour before daylight. Just, just and I sucking shot up him, all the time. I shot him on the ground at like 30 yards. They had no clue. Well, they knew, but they, I guess, they thought. Whatever a farmer or something, it worked. I yeah, mean, it's scent baiting. You heard it here first. It, it worked. Scent baiting. That baiting. sounds perfect. That... <laughs> no, I don't think it like anything like that would work anywhere around here. Oh, definitely. But not. low pressure. Never... Well, and the other thing was, I ha- I was hunting on the edge of the road. The way the places where these bucks were bedded, I was like three feet from the road. So for them to get a little bit of human scent was not crazy. Wasn't a big deal. And yeah. Came out like it was no big deal. Downwind, straight downwind of me. That was one of our dumber ideas. I mean, they, and they walked 200 yards <laughs> towards me with wind blowing to them and never looked up once. Oh, my God. Well, that's, that's awesome. proof positive that our preconceived notions that we learn from the minute we start becoming a hunter and somebody invests time in <laughs> us to teach us to hunt, we start learning yep. all these things and their their preconceived notions about what a deer does and how he lives. And yeah. they, they, they give us tunnel vision. And, yep. you know, we oftentimes something that that you call you call it stupid but it's actually you know i mean it's very it's a logic-based solution to a problem and um yeah i mean it's it's not guaranteed but it's it's a perfect example of how when we go to the deer camp we just do the same thing over and over and we assume the same results over and over and over yeah and we just don't think outside the box and you you guys really messed you up man and and look we did that for till i was 20 i mean we look back thinking man why were we not on the road doing this stuff when we had less responsibility but when you finally break like go do an out-of-state hunt where there's a lot of bucks where you can have some confidence start there and when you start seeing some and just just don't have any idea in your mind do whatever you got to do to kill the deer be aggressive there's another one on the next property that you're going to find and just try some stuff my my worst thing about people that talk about the midwest they say there's not a buck behind every tree well if you look behind all the trees, you're almost guaranteed to find a buck. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. I mean, people, they want to play it down, but, like, if you're from Louisiana and you've hunted here your whole life, 
hit the road, man. You will get on some big ones and try some crazy stuff. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, all right. Let's get back on the subject of saddles, my favorite topic of all time. (laughs) Um, Maybe we can take some stuff. (laughs) So, uh, I, uh, you know, tell me what's y'all's perspective of their relatively recent uprising and overhype in the market? Um, It kind of sucks that that everybody else found the secret that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I think that's probably partially the reason why there's boot tracks everywhere where there shouldn't be in Louisiana. Yeah. It's a lot easier to pack in now. So I mean, we don't, I mean, great for everybody else, but yeah, it's definitely making it tougher, but I mean, tethered obviously is the one they did a good job. They spent a lot of money on marketing and and it must be working, but uh, I mean, all the saddles work there. A saddle's a saddle, man. It doesn't, they all have some slight differences, but it's just, I mean, yeah, we wish less people knew about it, but unfortunately that's yeah, – and, and look, anybody that buys a saddle and they give themselves at least three hunts in it, really honestly probably one sit, they're not going back. So, I mean, it's not yeah. – everybody's going to have to get on board because – Well, the thing that we need to say, that the thing, that, the thing that's irking Kyler when he talks about this is it's not the people that are buying into this – new method this expanded opportunity it's the amount of people that are buying a saddle and hunting the same way they were before they had the saddle and expecting the fact that they're now facing the tree is making a difference yeah if you got private land and you got stands you can put out and sit buy you a couple big ass comfortable lock-ons yeah 30 dollars but if you want to really hunt and you want to move and you want to i mean i have not hunted the same tree unless it was because i saw a shooter twice and since I started hunting out of a saddle. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to hunt when I hit the woods. I'm looking for a hot sign when I get there. All right, where's the kill tree? I get in that tree. I don't I don't care. If you're going to pre-hang sets, buy you a bunch of lock-ons and, and get you some comfortable ones and, and have at it. But if you want to be mobile, it is not even – it's not even a competition. Well, and the main just, thing about, about saddles, too, is if um, – if you don't take a selfie in your saddle, are you really even – Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah it's well, bingo. not that, not only that, but – if you don't well, tell so, everybody so, before so you here's go hunt. A, yeah, this I is got that iPhone 11 portrait, so, dude. It's like, it's off the chain. So let, let me, let, here, here's here's my deal. Let me, I guess, finish making my point. Locke was, Locke was dead on about, um, you know, my, uh, my feelings towards him. Um, number one, if you were killing deer out of a lock-on and you were killing deer out of a climber you're killing deer out of a ground blind you're going to kill deer in a saddle because you possess the ability and the skill set to kill deer and get close Mm -hmm. and and the thing the 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 thing that i i do believe the majority of people fall for in the marketing is the same thing that golfers fall for when they have a really bad slice is that if I buy this new driver, I'll hit the ball straight. Mm-hmm. And the problem I have with them isn't actually I, – I will be the first to admit there are a ton of advantage to them, advantages to them. Packability, weight, comfort even. Um, I do think there are a few disadvantages as far as like shooting positions and awkward you know, contorting your body and stuff. I also don't think people actually, you know, reach over backwards and shoot over the right shoulder in real life. I think people just like to show that on YouTube. But um, no, you switch the bow. You switch your bow side. 
Yeah, yeah, you, you unscrew it. Yeah, you shoot it up, shoot left-handed. But um, you just you pass it over. You know, you pass it over the, the tether. Yeah, I don't. There's so about I, there's about 15 degrees you can't shoot to your strong side. You got to pass the bow over if that if that's yeah. your only shot. My so my my point is is that if if you were killing uh, y'all didn't start killing deer because you got a saddle. Y'all have been killing no. deer for a very long time, and y'all found something that helped you be even more comfortable and effective in killing deer. Well, my you know my biggest problem is that there are people that don't have a single bow kill that are moving to a saddle. You yeah, don't gonna... like you do not possess. So like my argument isn't against saddles as much as it is for yeah, don't think upping your own ability. Yeah, you know, right. learning how to get on the X, learning how not to get near the X. Like seeing deer doesn't do anything for you unless yeah. you just like, you know, observing. You need to be able to find the right tree in the right wind yeah. and be able to find exactly where you think, predict where the deer are coming from. And so there's a lot of killers hunting out of saddles, but there are even more hunters that have moved to a saddle that haven't figured out how to be killers yet. That's my biggest problem with them. It isn't actually the product itself. It's the mindset of people thinking that it's going to turn them into killers. And that is inside of you. That's my problem with them personally. Yeah. You, you don't <laughs> like how the douches kind of took over the saddle scene. <laughs> but well, pretty it, much look, that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It highlights, yeah. it highlights the common, the commonality that, exist in the industry the reason that marketing in the outdoor industry in my opinion is easier than marketing in other industries because it's an impulse buy and and there's so many people that buy things not for their pragmatic or practical use they buy them because they have this feeling like you said if i go buy this new driver i'm gonna all of a sudden become a better golfer next saturday when i go meet my friends at the golf course if i go buy this thing that i keep seeing on the outdoor channel well then the next time i go in the woods certainly i'm, I'm gonna find the success that i can't find any other way just simply by being a consumer and not by changing anything else and that's well, the now, saddle has just brought a, that to light well if you're hunting in a lock on every day and you switch to a saddle you will it you will be better at hunting that's the thing like it <laughs> if you use like it correctly but yeah, if you yeah, go like hanging a tree right you, next to your lock-on, then, you know. Yeah, well, like the deer that you don't want to kill. That's the main thing yeah. that a saddle helps. They, It's a lot easier to not be seen. You know how when you're walking through the woods in, on public and you see a person in a regular stand, you see them. And it's like 100 yards away, like that's a person. How is like How does a deer not know that? Well, the deer does know that. And they, you know, I've hunted in my climber the other day. Um for the first time in a while, I got spotted by a deer just completely motionless. Like you, you don't look like a limb, but if you're in a saddle, you, you either look like a limb or you see a deer that you don't want to shoot coming and you, you know, you just hug the tree and you, you're, talking, a lot. About the, you're talking about the profile, like the, you know, the profile of you and the tree coming off at the same angle as a, as a limb would essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I've, I've so, had a bunch of deer come like 10 yards and just have like, they just don't, Look yeah, up. and you can. I mean, you can even just hug the tree, and you're the tree. I mean, I mean, it's it. Now you're right, though. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, it ain't gonna do anything for you. But if you're a guy that hunts mobile and you want it to be easier, and you want the the, the few advantages that it gives you that you can stay behind. The, I mean, you can follow the trunk and keep the deer on the other side of you. There's a few little things you can do that that you can't do in a lock on that's nice. 
but if yeah if you're not if you're if you don't know how to get on the deer it's not going to do anything you still got to be on top of them and there is See, no there's no direction that you can't shoot too like I've, most of the deer i've sure. shot out of the battle have been on the weak side yeah once you really learn how to use it and you, they're all dead yeah once you really learn how to use it you know, well, y'all, so so y'all are a little skinnier than I am. So like y'all probably are, are more a more believable limb in a tree. I would be a very <laughs> fat, a very fat out of place limb. I'd be a, I'd be a, a I'd be like a really long, um, you know, uh, burl coming off the tree uh, essentially. So, uh, oh, but cool. no, like you know, did, like I was saying earlier, y'all been doing this for a long time. I I don't I just to clarify. You know, I don't have a problem with saddles. I have a problem with people pretending that that it's a fix-all like snake oil, and, and no. it's not. And and it is hyped like that. I'm sure y'all see it as well. It is hyped as if like it turns you into, you know, the the ninja of the woods. And and you see people hunting in a saddle over a food plot with a box stand in the background. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely. not necessary. With or, or you know, rifle, yeah. No, that's totally. so. Anyway, yeah, look at your presentation um, and see if it's if you're not doing something similar to what we're doing, being real mobile. It's not. You don't need that. So if if you're hunting private land and you can have, you've got get these, a millennium. And, yeah. yeah, and you want to hunt hunt priest hung sets. We would we would argue not to do that. But if that's what you want to do, you don't don't mess with the saddle. Get you a big comfortable lock on. Put it up there and go sit in it. Don't, you know, don't every day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, if you yeah. want to be mobile, man, it's and you can do it with a lock on and you can do it on the ground. But if you, the the best method to be to have the option to get in a tree when you're trying to hunt mobile, I mean, it, you can't argue with it, man. It just makes it so much, so much easier physically to not have so, to lug stuff there. Let's let's change up let's change up the the topic real quick because there's something about y'all that I think is super interesting and I think. I think y'all find it just as hilarious as anybody else probably would. But y'all were um, w- recently or last year on the reality show Naked and Afraid. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That, that was not this most recent June and July, but the one before that. And then it aired in March, I think. Yeah, March. So, so we aired right around COVID. What's that? I said it aired right around when COVID started then. Yeah. 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 That was so the how, best. How did that happen? How did you get on there? Uh, they just messaged us on yeah, Instagram, they, they and we were like, "Yeah, we'll do it." It was crazy. They were doing a, a sibling series, and I guess they had trouble getting like siblings to apply. So they had casting companies going out and contact people. A casting a girl that worked for a casting company messaged us on Instagram. It's like, "Hey, here's what we're doing. Are y'all interested?" And we were like, "Well, yeah," thinking, you know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Interviewing us on so, the phone a couple times, and then they flew us to Los Angeles. And then they like interview us there, and then they start like going to give us all these vaccine shots. I'm like, whoa, 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 are we going? Yeah, like, like, I don't, don't want me with that if we're not and, going. And we're right. like, well, we can't tell you, but like if they're giving you the shots, and we're like, all right, whatever. So, and then a couple weeks later, they're like, all right, y'all are going to Africa in like three weeks. We're like, all right, dude, yeah. let's do it. So, how <laughs> long did Africa. you make it? I haven't seen your episode. How long did you make it? Oh, it's not like a make it thing. It's yeah. like the, it's not a hard thing. We made it as long as they let us stay there. Which yeah, is it was like 21 <laughs> days. I mean, it's real. Look, it's it's the real deal. They drop your ass off and you're surviving. But it's, I mean, they've been moving towards wanting some more action. So like we had we had a fire starter, we had a pot, and we had a longbow, dude. So I mean, we had everything. We were set for life. We had everything we needed. I mean, we were <laughs> yeah. we were selling some shit. We were. I mean, it was we were partying. Yeah, we we uh. <laughs> 
man, we hunted daylight till dark, nonstop. For twenty one days, going there was, was amazing. Thinking, I'm thinking, oh, Africa, dude, we're gonna spot and stalk. I'm getting pumped. I'm, yeah. I'm freaking out. And we get there, and it's and it's like thick Texas, like brush country, and it's like all you can do is sit on a water hole. And I even was still stalking a little bit the first day or two. I'm like, God, doggy, dude, we gotta set yeah, up. A we're gonna have to sit, sit in, in a goddamn day. box stand. But it was still fun, man. We 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 just hunt on the ground, hunting water holes all day, um, missing a bunch of stuff, yeah. and finally, eventually, starting to kill some stuff. So we would go and and cut like all these branches and make our little blinds you know like it almost felt like we were hunting like it was easier than what we do with oh hunting. yeah it, it was, was like, like outfitter was style. Like we, outfitter style we made right. we made blinds on the side of the ponds the cameramen were so dumb <laughs> they were trying to like set up in between us and where the animals were coming we're like no dude i'm gonna we make you a blind over we had here to get our little system right we had to make the cameraman a blind to get him out of the way like i mean they weren't there. they weren't so, hunting. what all did you kill I didn't see What's the episode. That? I gotta go watch the episode. But what all did you kill? The episode's called uh, the episode's called twinning because it's me and Warren. We're not twins, but the, and there was a pair of girl twin girls from New Zealand who did it too. It was it was me and him together and them together for the first ten or eleven days, and then we met up and we did the second half of the challenge together. So we missed a shitload of of animals every day. Well, Warren bought a longbow <laughs> and broke the day before we went, so we had to get a different one. So it shot totally different. So we're basically having to learn how to shoot it while we were there. At animals. We learned how to shoot this bow at animals. Yeah, and we finally and, ended up figuring it out. But. Yeah, so we killed a doiker, it's like a little deer. like a tiny little deer, which we're looking at the skull right now. It's on Thomas's mantle. And um, Thomas shot and lost a warthog. That was day eight. I missed, I came really close to a bunch of warthogs, like was just hitting at their feet. And then um, I shot nine little birds yeah which we were just like savoring over the oh fire God, we, were, so we were poking their little hearts on tiny sticks and these were tiny birds too and yeah, we were birds. roasting taking turns eating their crunchy little heads like it was like a piece of popcorn <laughs> roasted on the fire and i think because of how much we enjoyed the birds is why they didn't show that they didn't show any, any. Yeah. out of the nine birds i shot with a freaking bow they showed zero and tried to make it look like we were starving i guess yeah i mean we weren't hungry because <laughs> it's tiny birds but yeah we didn't eat much till day 10 when i killed that dike we ate those nine little birds and uh and like some little leaves yeah. little and then plants. thomas finally got the dike and we, what we were saying thomas had a string of bad luck where he lost a bunch of bucks and still we were on that string, still on the streak, <laughs> but oh, it was no. Tipu's. We we're calling it Tipu's curse out there, and we're like, okay, that Dika that comes out at seven thirty every morning to drink. If you kill him, give him a big ass kiss on his nose, Tipu's curse will be broken. So like we, we were thinking that was the deal. So Thomas kills the Dika. We, we have a meat party. That's oh, that's what we were God. saying. Like we're having parties. a meat party, and uh, so we get this Dika. I found some fat. We, we cleaned it in about record time like with a two-blade broadhead clean we cleaned it with thing. a broadhead in like less than 12 minutes yeah completely clean bones all the bone meat. yeah and i found some fat up against his uh backbone and we threw that in the pot rendered it down fried the liver first oh, which was amazing all the all the professional hunters and camera guys were like gathering around like can I have some of that? Yeah. <laughs> they won't. We, we were trying to like cook for them, but they won't. This like legal stuff. They wouldn't let any of the crew eat anything of it. So we ate most of that um, that night. We're just yeah. roasting meat. We took the skin and they're like, you know, these producers are constantly trying to get us to do what everybody does on the show. And they're like, you're going to make shoes out of that skin? And we're like, no. Yeah, Here's what no. we're going to do. <laughs> we, we put the neck in a hindquarter, wrapped it in the hide, 
and buried it underground and built the fire on top so it could cook overnight. That was the best oh pulled meat out of out of anything. So huh. we, the, ne- the next morning was like the merger or whatever. Yeah, we had uh, our pot full of pulled meat was all that was left of that diaper. Yeah. We ate almost the whole thing in one night. Yeah, and That's then we were crazy. So they we went to the girls yeah. too and. That was that wasn't all we killed. We we actually had to yeah, stop he, hunting on he day fourteen. Impala on day fourteen. Impala is about the size of a whitetail. We ate that entire thing just me and Warren in like two and a half days. They oh they were kind of pissed off about that because because they're like, do you think that's the best survival strategy? I'm like, well, no, but we're leaving in a week and a half. <laughs> we're not surviving. We're partying. Like we're having a meat party right now, and we're eating as much of this as we can. So we like we literally stayed up late. Eating <laughs> they, as they, they never, they never on the blood all over our mouth, just like, oh, dude, so like, good. Oh they God. never knew that this was like, this wasn't a survival mission. This was just like a vacation for y'all. Like, oh, they we had no idea. when we got no there, idea. we're like, we're like, we're like, y'all don't understand. You got to take it. I'm getting no, no, no I'll, I'll okay. He's got work, but uh, yeah, I'm like, y'all don't get it. If y'all are y'all sure y'all want us to bring this long though? Like, we're about to, we're about to party. Like, this is not gonna be a. When they're like, I don't know, people people tap out, like, this is going to be people tough. People tap out on day three. Like, tapping out is, ne- like, you would have to be the biggest pussy to ever <laughs> even think about leaving. Yeah. Like, literally every day at the end of the day, we're like, thank you so much for inviting us. This is the best <laughs> yeah, trip we've ever been on. <laughs> and they're like, stop calling it a hunting trip. Call it a challenge. <laughs> Look, South America, I get it. If you got tons of bugs and stuff, that's probably pretty tough. But dude, it was winter there, and so we didn't have any bugs. I mean, it was cold. Like we had like some high thirties nights, so that kind of sucked. But other than that, it was. How it did was you nice. stay warm? Uh, we didn't. We were just super. Oh cold. yeah, we were cold oh, okay. as shit. We um, <laughs> we built one fire. And then we came up with the, yeah we had we had th- a triangle of fires yeah. all around. Us. Then the second night we came up with the two fire system yeah which was still insufficient <laughs> better. Then we thought maybe the three fire system will yeah. do it. But yeah. I mean realistically we spent the first week doing all kind of crazy stuff. I, I made a blanket out of grass. I buried myself one night. And when you finally just realize you're wasting your energy trying to be warm, you just you're just cold. So once we got over that mental, it was like whatever. It's kind of cold at night. No big deal. Wow. That's hilarious. Stop <laughs> stop calling it a hunting trip. Dude, they were like like even like the cameraman, like not the producers were like, Yeah, you got like you can't do that. Can't. We're like, Oh shoot. Sorry, 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 sorry. But we really were just so like appreciative and they thought that was the weirdest thing. We're like, I don't you... think they believed us for like the first yeah. full two weeks. They were like, What is y'all's deal? What is wrong with y'all? We're like, Y'all put on this awesome trip where you know, y'all have to work, we're here hunting. I yeah, it was like bad. So, the challenge is really for y'all. Like, how do you, yeah, you know, how do you do this with <laughs> watching all these animals without getting a shoot? They at? had to have clothes on, so they're all hot and like sweaty. We're running around naked, bow hunting. It was awesome. It was like the coolest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> so, this is hilarious, man. So, what, uh, what, what longbow did y'all bring? What kind was it? I think it was a Montana. Was it yeah, bear it Montana? was like the, yeah. the general bear longbow from Bass Pro. Yep, yep, Montana. Yep. I, I mean, I got to Macon a few years ago, but we never, I mean, neither of us have ever been very good at shooting traditional. I mean, until we went to that trip, that kind of forced us to really shoot. So we'd be like shooting all day while we're hunting. You know, there's a pebble 20 yards, shoot that. And then 
by day eight, that when I hit that warthog, after that we started, we were hitting pretty much what we were shooting yeah. at at that point. Dude, finally. that Impala on day. Yeah, he doubled along that Impala. Oh big God. Impala at like that 25 yards. I mean, drilled him. I actually passed a yard. I passed one that was too small. <laughs> he passed an animal <laughs> naked and afraid. He passed yeah. an animal naked and afraid. <laughs> well, dude, where, where, where he show was set up, we, we would have like, the first spot was decent, but the second spot, I mean, you it he, we would have like 20 Impala come in every day. It got to the point where when he killed his, we were like, look, this is before we knew how hard it was to get meat back from Africa. We were talking to producers. We're like, look, we'll pay any amount of money. We don't care. If we keep shooting these animals, will y'all get them home for us? We want to stack this meat. Yeah, we want to load like, the freezer. They're like, no, <laughs> you cannot get meat home. So we stopped hunting because if we would have killed another one at that point, we, it would have been, you know, we would have barely been able to yeah. finish it. And we kind of, the first 10 days, we didn't really eat much. We almost, we pretty much ate nothing for 10 days. And it was kind of a cool experience. With little birds and like some seeds. Little tiny, yeah, but it was kind of a cool experience to like really... So we kind of wanted to go out on like at least a few days of and not eating. You ate eating. that scorpion that, sc- that stung Oh, him. yeah, I got stung by a scorpion at night. We found him the next day and ate him. But, I mean, he was little. He was like two inches long. I mean, nothing. We didn't eat anything substantial till day 10. Unbelievable. So, That's wild. And then it was a meat party. And then it was just straight up meat party. Yeah. Oh, and the, the jaguars. There was jaguars and in, in hyenas every night. And we just had meat completely surrounding our shit. And they were like, aren't you going to like hang that meat somewhere far away? And we're like, well, no. Cause we don't want to lose it. Yeah, then they're going to get it. Like, yeah. We, so we, <laughs> we were pretty much surrounded by meat. Yeah, dude, it's so dry there. If you cut a piece of meat like an inch thick or thinner and you hang it, it turns into jerky in like two days. So like yeah, you just what, – What do they call that? They call it uh, – Biltong. Uh, bil- yeah, B, Biltong, yeah. Yeah, it is the cool. real deal. Like, a refrigerator is not a thing. You can just kill meat. and just, Like, we hung a hindquarter hole for, like, three days, and it just got hard on the outside. And then we start cutting into it a few days later, and it's fresh, red meat. I mean, nothing, no problem. That's so That's cool. Well, <laughs> that, y'all are cracking me up, man. I uh, I need to watch this episode. Yes. Um, and, well, and the, sure, the, go ahead. The, the uh, editing is... Yeah, it's we got, not nearly as cool as it was in real. We got to be a little careful, but to say the least, you know, the chronological order of things is, is you know, not quite the, the deal. But you'll like it. It's a, it's a, it's super entertaining and it's funny. They, they you know they did put some really funny stuff in there, and they definitely made the girls and they got the awesome. ki- they got the kills. But it's like we spend you know a week and a half trying to kill something. We kill the first deer, and it's like the scene of the kills is like a thirty second month. You know what I mean? They don't get the. I mean, it's not a hunting show, so I get it. They got their formula, but it's like, to me, they, they also you know, can't all of the stuff being that was really good, good at this either. Yeah, I mean, all the stuff that was good to us is is not what they highlighted, but it's still a super entertaining yeah, episode. Yeah, you're supposed to be afraid, technically. Yeah, it's not part just of the naked. Well, dude, the show we, isn't we, naked we, and we had the first the first week, like every other night, we had this big bull elephant that would come in from like a mile away. And we, it'd be about nine o'clock at night. We'd hear him start breaking trees. And we're like, oh, God, here we go. And he would come in to right on the edge of our shelter. I'm talking five yards away, growling and snapping trees. And he would like mm. put his trunk on our shelter, like literally just like a wall of thorns. And his trunk is like three feet from us. And he's just like, like breathing on us. I mean, the freakiest thing. But. He ended up after a few days. He ended up leaving us alone, but that was that was the one deal where it was like, 
all right, we might die. But we were still like giggling. I mean, it was like, it was scary, but it was like, what are you going to do? You signed was, up for it. You're in Africa. Here's when the that elephant was right there, like I, I remember turning the, our little selfie cam to my face and I was so terrified. I just busted out laughing. Yeah, it was, that was, <laughs> a, it was nothing else you could do. And then we called, we had these walkie talkies you're supposed to use for emergencies. We called the dude. We're like, Hey, um, there's a gigantic elephant about six feet from us and he's pissed. He's like yelling at us and, and all that stuff. <laughs> And they're like, oh, oh, well, uh, he's too close now. You don't want to piss him off. And we're like, well, <laughs> you know, okay, well, I'm never using this walkie-talkie again. So, yeah, like, it, 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 just leave you, you're just on your own. At night, if something wants to kill you, you're, you're dead. You're done, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. But, but it was, there's so much animals there. Most of the predators are, the elephants were the deal. I mean, the leopards and the lions, they weren't trying to mess with you. Because we left the remnants of a hindquarter out, like, 200 yards away. as like an offering, and they didn't touch it. Hmm. Yeah, all right. They got you. They ain't worried about that. They didn't ever huh. try to. I mean, we had some leopards come in close, but they never tried to like swipe at our shelter and like get the meat. Yeah, there was so. one time where the girls got up and they were like banging the pots, like leopard, go away, leopard, and we're like, dude, we're trying to. Oh, I didn't even get up. That was an extra cold night. I was like, I ain't getting out of this yeah, fire. <laughs> we had pretty much an igloo built out of dry leaves that we built a fire inside of and the producers are like y'all are gonna light your asses on fire <laughs> like you know what it's warm that's wild. I, you know i i used to think like i i i thought i knew what we were gonna name this episode a while ago now <laughs> i i sorry i have no idea whatsoever no we just uh, did we, two we podcasts just, no we just doubt call it just call it Naked in Kansas, I guess. Yeah, Naked in Kansas <laughs> with the meat Dude, chasers. If, if we can line that up, oh, that would be the that would be the ticket. Now I got they, a speedo that I I found my camo speedo when I was cleaning out my deal the other day. If it snows, <laughs> I'm gonna have to look here in the speedo. Yeah, that would be good stuff. God, it cracks me up. Well, look, guys, let's let's wrap it up here. I, I really <laughs> really love talking to y'all. Hilarious. Y'all have obviously a very unique. Uh, approach to the woods and, and how you hunt and just go about everything. Um, we got to have y'all on again, especially after y'all y'all go back. When when are y'all going back to Kansas during the rut? Uh, yeah, the twelve. We're doing the kind of the the end of it deal, the twelfth to the twenty first or something we're like. We're hoping that. to catch them during the lockdown. Yeah, try yeah. to do some spotting stalk. Cool. Because it's over. They cut those crops where we were hunting. There's gonna. I mean, there's nothing. There's like three trees. So well, let's once y'all once y'all you know we'll keep up with y'all on social media and we text and call you and stuff and keep keep in touch but let's let's do a follow up episode after y'all's trip up there um, you know late late November maybe around Thanksgiving time and uh, let's just see how y'all do man love to love to uh, get that story from y'all yeah and lock them I want yeah let let us know how you do in Kansas and we'll. Uh, we, we wish you luck out there. We're, we're interested to see how you do. Yeah, Let man. us know what uh, units you're in. Over, in uh, 11 and 12. 11, 11 and 12. And I think I'm going to be hunting in 11 mostly, but you know how it is. You can hunt two units with your draw, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll be in 11. But, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll update everyone. Hopefully, hopefully uh, I'm hoping that uh, this weather front, we're going to hit that, uh, that, that <laughs> what do you call it, pre-pre-rut? It's not. It shouldn't really be a full-fledged pre-rut activity, but I'm hoping with this extreme cold snap that's coming through, that maybe kind of yeah. get some pre-rut action going. So I'm excited. Sweet. Well, guys, thank y'all. Uh, thank y'all for joining us. Y'all, ha- y'all have any questions or anything for us before we jump off of here? No, it's been great. Yeah, man, yeah, we've man. had a good time. We appreciate y'all having us on, and it's been really fun. 
Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks, guys, so much. All right, guys. Well, Locke, you got anything else, man? No, man. Um, just uh, hey, yeah, I don't know what the weather forecast is going to do down here, but uh, I would assume that cold front is going to push down. Ought to be a good weekend in the south. And I, I would just say what I've been hearing from people, if if we if we want to do a little local report here, is the the, the transition's really happening now. So whatever you've been seeing, whatever you've been doing, um, with the early season stuff you know be expect some changes you know those deer are getting yeah. on acorns they're getting off of off of more summer feeding patterns so expect to put in a little bit of work on figuring that out because you may if you're a weekend warrior like a lot of us you may you may find things are a lot different this weekend well i'm i'm headed up uh friday afternoon i'm headed up to illinois um and i'm just going to scout all day saturday and sunday and uh, i got a bunch of places lined out on public land because last year when i went we hunted private and it just got hooked. And, uh, this year we're going to do the public thing. Um, it's going to be three of us going and, uh, I'm going to go scout for two days and come home and, uh, hopefully have a, a, a better game plan for when we go up on November 7th. So I think we're headed yep. back. So I'm cool. excited, man. So yeah, I'll let man. you know. Best well, guys, thanks. Year. Yeah. Thanks for joining us guys. We'll, yep. uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, hopefully we're all swimming in a pool full of bucks here yeah. in the next couple of yeah. weeks. We'll keep okay. in touch. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good night. All right. Later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.